folks, welcome to Avocado Gaze Cast number 69, our nicest episode yet. <laughs> I'm your host, Merv. You know, just like the rest of the video game industry, we love sequels. And so, we are doing a sequel episode. Yeah. That's right, we're revisiting mashups and crossovers, and this time, we're going to play a fun game. I'm going to suggest the wackiest video game crossovers I can think of, and my wonderful guests will brainstorm what they might look like. It's going to be bonkers. Speaking of my wonderful guests, he's the inventor of the spaghetti sandwich. It's Luterre. Carbs on carbs on carbs on carbs. Hell yeah. He thinks cookies are a viable pizza topping. It's Wolfman Jew. Hey, everyone. His favorite donut is a Boston cream, but with toothpaste instead of custard. It's the Kappa. Oh, gross. It's disgusting. Yep. And finally, he's too busy playing with marbles to make weird culinary concoctions. Please give a warm welcome to individualists formerly known as Bresson. Hey. So, how are you folks all doing? Good. Fine. Perfect. Not too bad. Um, yeah, it's it's been a, a weird couple of weeks for me. But I am glad to get to talk to people about video games again. Yeah, same here. It's yeah, been it's it, like this is the week where quarantine's kind of finally like, all right, we got to go somewhere. <laughs> we got to get out of the house. So it's really starting to kind of set in. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been playing a lot of video games because I've just been kind of stuck in my apartment. I don't know what it's like for the rest of you folks. Um, but. <laughs> I am interested to know what you folks have been playing lately. So, uh, Luter, what have you been up to game-wise? Uh, so I just uh, got to the surface for the first time in Hades, uh, which is uh, basically an amazing game right now. Yep. Uh, and then I've been I've been playing a little bit of uh, Among Us with the Avocado kids. Uh, but yeah. All right. Yeah. We, what's we did what's Hades Among like? Us it's like a, a roguelike um, by... Supergiant? Um, actually, this is... Luther and I have both been playing this. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm oh, but you go, please. It's a, it's a very popular roguelike uh, by Supergiant Studios. It's like the, the premise is you're, you're Hades' son, and you, wanna, you hate your dad, and you want to head up to the surface. And all of the roguelike aspects are actually really well integrated into the story itself. And that's something I really, I'm really enjoying about it. And it's just so stylish. It's just incredibly stylish. The, uh, um, um, part, the whole nature of the, um, the thing, like what makes Hades, like the story work is that basically it's, so in roguelikes, you know, you, you die, you go into this randomly generated area and you die and you go back. But that's basically the story is that you're in the, like you exist in the bottom pit of the Hellenic version of hell. And so, and the dungeons that basically prevent you that are meant to prevent anyone from going to the surface constantly shift all the time. So you basically keep trying to go up and die. So like the roguelike element is baked into the story. Okay. Um, and is it kind of, is it like uh, every run is independent or is it more like, Rogue Legacy, where you kind of build up uh, stats and stuff across runs. 
Oh, it's definitely like Rogue Legacy. Like there's there's some stats that you just keep for the run and then other stats that you you have as permanent upgrades and like you're encouraged to choose between um, when you go into a new chamber, you can see what the reward is. So you can choose between things that are like, you know, experience overall or things that will help you on this current run. Okay, so there's like a lot of trade-offs and, and like smart choices to be made in any given run through the game. But, but it always feels like you're fundamentally getting something, like no run ever feels yeah. wasted. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point, um, and I think that's one thing that kind of helped some different games stick uh, as far as the Rogue revival has been coming on, you know, where I think Rogue Legacy kind of was like, well, even if I die in a cheap death, you know, or at least it feels cheap, I didn't feel like I wasted a playthrough, or at least my playthrough mutated enough to be interesting uh, in some ways. So I think that's that's a really cool kind of take on the genre where it's it feels less punishing uh, and more like... I don't know how to describe it. More, more interesting, more a potential um, for actually getting something cool or neat or different um, than just you know punishing the player for for dying. Because that was one of my big turnoffs in the original Rogue Revival games that were coming out was they seemed to kind of really lean into well a rogue game is difficult and punishing and that's it and that's not really kind of how I remember some of the earlier ones. There was a, a fun angle to them as well um, where death was kind of a a way to change up the game in a way. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to mention that it's, you know, for all that it takes place in this, like, literally Stygian pit, it's really, it's very addicting, and it's honestly kind of pleasant to be around. Like, all of the, like, gods of the dead, including the, um, you're kind of angry, always really diffident um, dad boss Hades. There, it's all just kind of like this really depressing, almost like an office comedy. Like, like everyone who's dead is basically just doing their job. You can actually, when you, one of the main bosses in the game, after you kill her for the first time, you can actually see her in like the lobby, like the hub area. Just like chilling. Like, yeah. It's like she got yeah, demoted. Because it's just her job. <laughs> to try to kill you (laughs) yeah i think they talked about like the greek gods is almost like a dysfunctional family and that's kind of like the the angle they were going for it in the game was that these people aren't really your enemies it's just like look you know this is just kind of what we are we're the god of this we have to do this to you um greek mythology is basically arrested development but with even more incest (laughs) (laughs) oh god um you know, I, I mentioned this when we were talking about when the game was released on the site. Um, I went to PAX a couple of years ago, and they, it was when they were demoing Pyre. I'm not sure if you remember Pyre, yeah, but it was yeah. kind of Pure like their, basketball. Yeah, their bas- <laughs> basketball fantasy game. Uh, and, you know, they were excited about it, and they, they de- it definitely was an interesting game. But um, they were telling everybody at the booth, they were like, wait till this next one. Just wait till this next one. I think they had maybe some art for it, like maybe like a stand-up or something, but I don't think it was playable then. Um, or maybe like they'd already like kind of moved on that demo or something that day, but, um, they were like, just all saying like, wait till this next, so it's, it's our biggest yet kind of feel to it. Um, and they, they were talking about the writing alone was like 10 times the writing they've done for other games. And I was like, even more than Bastion, because Bastion felt like a lot of writing, but I guess technically maybe it is, and it's pretty linear, you know? Um, but I, I got hyped for this game very early and unfortunately I haven't 
played it yet for some reason, but um, soon. And I'm, I'm really excited. I'm seeing everyone playing it and hearing really good stuff about it. Yeah, uh, Supergiant's been kind of a blind spot for me, but I'm eager to, I mean, I own both Bastion and Transistor, so I just have to kind of get around to it and get a feel for their games. Um, I'm, I'm really glad that, that they've had success in you know exploring these various genres. Um, Wolfman, what have you been playing? I mean, you've been playing Hades. Anything else you've been playing? Well, yeah, while my first big thing uh, lately has been Hades, uh, I... Um, you know, I've been playing a few things, but the most recent before that was that I finished Cuphead. I started and managed to beat Cuphead. Oh, nice. You know, only, was it three years too late? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not a, as we all know, it's not a, it's not a race over who gets to beat it first. Um, but yeah, Cuphead was as satisfying and exciting and really just incredibly charming as i had hoped i actually uh yeah um for you know people who may have been unfamiliar with cuphead the it's sort of the anime the like fleischer early disney studios inspired run and gun super difficult game that's notorious for having these unbelievably punishing and exacting boss fights and i with a couple exceptions, uh, actually found the difficulty curve to be very fair, and I don't consider myself a particularly good or skilled player, so that was actually a really good surprise. Yeah, it has this reputation for being super difficult, but from what I've heard, people find it generally a pretty fair game. It, it, um, it, I think it, and actually, I think it and Hades kind of work really well for kind of explaining why, which is that um, both, which is that they're, for one thing, they're very fast. Both games, you um, have very like reasonable loading times, at least on the PS4 Cuphead at almost no load times for when you had to retry a boss fight. And they're also really fast in the fights themselves. Like a Cuphead boss fight is Really, you're not expected to take longer than, like, two minutes on almost all of them, and most of them can be beaten in only one minute. And Hades, like, each of the different rooms in the big, like, uh, procedurally generated dungeon, really, like, a lot of them will probably only take you about 30 seconds. Wait, uh, Luther, would you agree on that? I, I feel like... Yeah, yeah, except, save for, like, mini-bosses and bosses, like, most chambers you complete pretty quick. Uh, it, it does increase as you get to, like, the later areas, like the, um, uh, the, the shields of, of whatever, where they turn into, um, little spirits after they die, so it's, like, twice as many enemies, essentially. Um, but, but for the most part, it seems like, you know, you, you see the enemies, you find a strategy, you defeat them, and then you see what loot is in the room and then move on. Yeah. They, you know, you do your job, like as much as these are like really nicely animated and, and audio recorded like things, they do their business very quick. And that I think helps make it approachable. Like um, I, earlier this year, I beat uh, Dark Souls 3 and Dark Souls 1. I, I mentioned, I believe, 3 the last time I was on the, um, the the last games cast I was on. And, you know, I love those games, but there is something to be said about the fact that, like, in those, you start – when you die, you start from a save point, and you have to trek all the way back to where you were to fight this boss. 
And like the hope that you can get is that you can come up with some kind of short, incredibly difficult shortcut that can deal with that a little bit. In these games, it's just super. It's it does it. The actual everything is kind of done in a very like close way, and that makes it I think a lot easier. Although by contrast, um. Hades specifically is does this thing that normally I hate in games, uh, where it has multiple different forms of currency. But that's also baked into this whole thing too, because you, as you go in, you try to look for the rewards and figure out which of those currencies you need the most or you want the most. So it's just in general, um, I feel like both games are very good at tell at making what you need to do very clear and giving you the tools to always be able to survive. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and like the diversity of, of uh, currency kind of, it, it, it kind of like gives you a little bit of a, a like gambler's high in a way where yeah. you're, you're like looking for keys or you're looking for gems and, like the next chamber, you're like, oh hell yeah, I get two of them this time or whatever, and and it like it makes a it adds a little bit of excitement to just the basic like thing of choosing left or right. <laughs> yeah. The way I see it, it's almost like um, instead of thinking of it as currency, it's almost like you need different resources for crafting, um, and it's effectively the same thing at the end of the day. You're trading it, in resources yeah. for an object. Yeah. Um. The the main currencies in Hades specifically are coins, which you can't keep with you, which you lose when you die, and mm -hmm. you basically get them by winning them by killing enemies and getting them as some prizes. And you can use them to buy certain stuff from shops during the in the middle of the dungeons. Uh, a special type of purple currency that you use to permanently upgrade, and then a few different like more rare ones that you can use to give to characters for special prizes or stuff to unlock secret other areas and one of those specifically the the prize item is actually unlocks more of the story by allowing you to interact more with the different characters mm -hmm. interesting i call it friend juice i think it's yes. uh... <laughs> <laughs> this is a good one what is the drink of the gods uh, ambrosia. ambrosia yeah yeah you know what? I... Doesn't matter. Brasson, <laughs> um, what have you been playing? Yeah, I've also been playing Hades, but I'm not going to go in-depth into it. It's I'm not as far as uh, Lutheran Wolfman, I think. I'm just on the third bus. It's really good. I'm uh, I'm not a big fan of the roguelikes a lot of the time, but it's, uh, just like Wolfman says, it's very fast and... It's just extremely pretty to look at, and it has like a really good sense of humor. There are like lost souls in the in the pits you start from, and when you bump into them, you see like uh, how they were diseased, and it's like really funny. Um, but the um, game. Hmm? Sorry, just wanted to mention. I actually, I'm pretty. I think I'm actually exactly where you are right now. I'm trying to get to the third boss. Yeah. Or I'm trying to beat the third boss. Yeah, I just like uh, beat the second one yesterday, and I'm like, let's go. I was like five rooms into the third um, world. 
But like the game I want to talk about, it's like uh, the Tony Hawk Pro Skater remasters, which, yeah. which are fucking great. Yeah. I picked them up uh, recently. I normally don't buy like a lot of recent games because I just play like a lot of old stuff. Uh, but for these ones, I uh, shield out the money and they're really good. Um, also, like it's insane how fast they load on the PS4. Uh, my experience with the PlayStation 4, it's like horrible with loading times and horrible with internet connection. But you can go like to uh, create a skater. It's all uh, all online connected, but it never lags. Uh, you can go like into the menu to like a create a park online. It just loads them up, and you can select them. And like in, at most six seconds, you're in the creator park. And it's just a remaster of the first two games, so it's like uh, what you accept. And it has like fun challenges uh, to spice it up a bit, but it's like just really good. It's like. Um, just original PS1 games and feel in everything. The original soundtracks for both games are there, but there's like even 40 more songs and stuff. This uh, Scream Females are in there, and it's still just a lot of ska. Yeah, it's it feels like what they did was they found kind of like more recent skate punk songs and more recent ska mm -hmm. songs to go yeah. along with the older ones. I think they've done like a good job mixing all the new. They've added some new skaters. Um, yeah. They've aged up the existing skaters. Uh, they threw in stances, reverts, and, and manuals, uh, which originally appeared in two and three for the first time. They put them in the one trap and the one maps as well. Yeah, so it's God bless. It's yeah. like the best thing they've done because I always had the problem with the first one on the original um, that I couldn't get like the high scores because I'm used to like ride out on a manual to like a kickflip and to grind. And on the first one, you can just like hit those tricks and do grinds. But now you can easily wreck like up 300 points or something, uh, 300,000 points. Yeah, I've, it's been the first game in a while where I can just impress my kid with how, with how <laughs> good I am at it. And I mean, it's, I'm, I'm still nowhere near as good as I used to be. I mean, I used to be able to do million point combos, you know. Oh. Um, but like I'm getting back there slowly. And I'll, I'll load in and I'll, I'll land like, you know, a real nice line and end it with like a 900, one of the special moves or whatever. And he's like, how oh, did you get so good? I'm like, man, <laughs> this game used to be my life. I used to play this for hours when I was a teenager. You know, I just come home, turn it on, then play till I fell asleep, basically. So um, there is a lot of little cool Easter eggs. That, I think that's one of the things that maybe the series was known for as well. Uh, just all the effort they put into the world yeah. and stuff. Um, it, it plays great, it looks great, runs great, sounds great. I mean, everything you could expect from a remake is done correctly uh, here. So um, I, if, if you're Jones for that, I mean, even my, my my brother has been calling me up. He doesn't play many video games, but he's like, hey, I'm going to come over for a Tony Hawk session once I get some time off of work. So um, it's, it's, it's still very, very, very fun. Uh, and if anybody's just looking for something for, you know, turn your mind off and, and listen to, you know, old tunes and skate all day. It's it's definitely that kind of game. Yeah, my brother also been coming over. He usually like only plays like Mountain Blade, but he was like, yeah, I just want to play stuff. He played when we were like six or seven, and it's like still like the co-op is also still so good. It's so much fun. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to getting it eventually because I had a lot of fun with uh, two and three when I was a kid. So. 
looking to get get back into the whole yeah it's, like arcade it's, skateboarding it's, game because like the genre kind of took a turn towards the more realistic with games like uh like skate, skate and session yeah. which is which is one approach you can take i'm not like knocking it but i do miss the like the crazy uh the crazy techniques and the and the completely out there tricks that no human could actually do in real life. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I was like playing Skate 1, 2, and 3 earlier this year, and I finished like the career mode on all of them, but it was like de-learning what I was like used to with on a Pro Skater because it's like, yeah, you need to like shift the stick back forward, back forward, like uh, do a half spin. And it's just like, um, and when I started playing uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater again, it just felt like so odd that I needed to go back to like arcade settings. It's we, so much more fun than skate. Even I really like skate also, but it's like way more pick up and play. Even I had to kind of change my mindset when I was playing with the uh, the part creator, right? Mm-hmm. Like because like I needed to make in skate and those other part creators. Sometimes you needed to make like very contained lines, you know. But in Tony Hawk, it's like, no, nah, just make crazy, you know, rail to rail, up a ramp, down a ramp. It doesn't matter. You can do it all. So um, when I was making parks, uh, that was one of my one of my favorite things to do is just make ridiculous parks where everything's kind of packed on top of the other and you can do just just insane things. Yeah, it's notable that a lot of Tony Hawk levels take advantage of verticality. So you can end up climbing by going up these ridiculous ramps and like grinding your way to the top of a building, which is not something right. that's physically possible, but like the game makes it possible, which is just really fun to experience. Yeah, it's insane because it's like never like you get stuck on nothing and you never like glitch out. It's like all smooth and perfect. Yeah, it's really really cool to see. Absolutely. Uh, so Kappa, what have you been playing? Uh, I, I've been playing a game. I, it's weird that this is probably like a pretty long running series. And I think I've never heard anyone talk about this series before. Um, spell force. Uh, has anyone heard or played or know anything about spell force? Heard of it, know very little about it. Right? Like, I, I, yeah. I feel like that's pretty common, weirdly. And this game has tons of games. I think maybe it might be kind of a more Euro, maybe game to it or whatever. Um, I'm... but... What's up? This is the first time I've even heard of this. Right. <laughs> no, it's, think... it's like it's like the stuff my brother plays. He like plays all these like real time strategy stuff. It's very European. I agree with it. Yeah. Just... So I, I'm wondering if it just never kind of like really hit the cultural zeitgeist or whatever. But um, it's, I. It's but... German. Also, like Phenomic uh, made it like uh, the first couple bits. So it's mm-hmm. just. Started out like a German, like role, uh, real-time strategy plays, and really looks like that also. Yeah, um, it, that's that's how I would describe it. Kind of has that very feel to it, like kind of a, a dark world, but not. I don't know how to describe it. Like you know that European fantasy setting where it's very kind of grim almost, but then they they kind of approach it with a little bit of humor at the same time, I guess. Um, yeah. So the Spell Force series has been going on for a long time, long time. Uh, one, I wouldn't even recommend playing it right now. It's just it's just too old, and there's a lot of, you know, compatibility issues and things like that. So I picked up the series with two. Um, it's a straight-up RTS RPG hybrid where you can kind of go into, like, over-the-shoulder third person and play it that way. 
um, for like the R the RPG type scenes uh, where you and your party are kind of going through, you know, killing wolves and spiders and stuff like that. But then the the game kind of expands out in a way, and you're building bases and cities and capturing territory. Um, the RTS is kind of similar to, I would say maybe like Company of Heroes style, where you capture a territory, then you're allowed to build in that territory and kind of fortify it and things like that. Um, and then, you know, there might be like a, a, a resource in that territory, or it might just be a strategic area to hold or a place to, you know, defend and, and build and things like that. Um, your characters themselves will get your standard RPG spells, your fireballs and stuff like that. But they also get RTS kind of spells almost where like you can clear trees or, you know, make a pile of rocks so that you can get stone if you need it or things like that. Um so there's a lot going on in this game series. Um, three is probably the most recent. It came out in 2017. The first thing you'll notice as soon as you start it, uh, Gerald voices the main character or whoever the voice actor is. So it kind of takes you out. It's almost like, whoa, what's going on here? You know, it's at a Witcher RTS almost. But um, the story is very kind of, you know, there's a, a coven of mages who are doing bad stuff and they're awakening dark gods and, uh, it, it kind of builds on itself. It's actually kind of an interesting story. You play the son or daughter of kind of like the big bad evil guy um, of oh, the like series. Trying to stop your your dad. Yeah. So like you've kind of been rescued by this this hero general played by Gerald, um, you know, who stopped your dad's plan to basically destroy the world. And rather than kill you, uh, they're gonna like try to like raise you to be you know, a good guy almost. And then the game does allow some decisions to be like, you know, am I, am I my dad's kid or, or not? Um, but uh, there, there's a lot going on there. Uh, a lot of, you know, the mages are the bad people. We need to fix them and stuff like that. But the, so the, the overarching story is pretty interesting. The gameplay is great. Uh, this game looks even for a 2017 game, it might not really look great in screenshots. It's hard to explain. It's kind of got like a trine effect going on where the, you know, like you're on the playing world, but in the background, there's these beautiful like 3D style uh, art illustrations and drawings and stuff going on. Uh, the game looks great while you're playing it. I mean, I don't know if there's a better looking RTS out there. Um, so I, I really admired that. I was able, you know, to kind of crank everything up. And there's that that there's always that layer kind of with some of these games where there's just, you know, like, are you going to sacrifice performance for, for graphics? But I didn't really have to. Um, it, it runs really well. Um, so they're, they're actually announced a brand new expansion uh, that should be, I think it's a standalone kind of world, world building expansion, probably leading up to, I would assume, four. Um, but as a series, like I said, it just kind of has always been something that I, I've just never heard people talk about. So wanted to kind of let people know if they're looking for a good RPG slash RTS, this kind of hits both those at the same time. Real economical buy. I think I bought the whole series for 10 bucks on Steam. Um, so I would definitely give this a, a check it out if you're kind of looking for something in that mode. Yeah, it's, it's been one of those series that's weirdly just been under the radar. I keep I keep hearing it get mentioned, but I never knew what it was about. It was just one of those things. It was like, oh yeah, Spellport is a thing that exists. Yeah, I think uh, THQ Nordic acquired it. So, you know, they've kind of been bringing like a light to a lot of these series that I think for whatever reasons have kind of just kind of fallen out of maybe like 
I would say American purview almost, yeah. but I, I feel like this might be kind of something that they build off of um, because I think they, you know, like I'm talking about stuff like Jagged Alliance or, you know, like some of those old uh, games that just kind of fell uh, off the radar, but um, it'll be interesting to see what they do with this. Cause it does kind of feel at least to me, like it's going to be some like almost like their tent pole, Warcraft type franchise uh, going forward because they've put a lot of effort into the, making this game look as good as it did. Yeah, so hopefully they they find success with, with Spellforce Four. It's always nice when you know a studio sticks with a property for a while, even if it's like not ultra popular. Yeah, um, they released like a standalone expansion pack last year, and if I remember correctly, it got like an Oktoberfest DLC. So yeah, it's very German. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you notice that as soon as like they they pick up uh, in Spellforce when I tried it just to see how it would run and stuff like that. And, I mean, the characters are supposed to be kind of like like elven, you know, like fae characters. And I mean, like it is like that hard German accent with an elf just sounds like kind of weird to the ears, you know, because they're used to that very light British, I guess, you know. And it's uh, yeah, that was the first thing I noticed, but it's it's still a good series, uh, you know, worth it all. Yeah. Um, so I've been playing a little game called Yakuza 4, um, which is the, well, which is the fourth game of the Yakuza series, but it's not the fourth one I've played. I played them all weirdly out of order. Like I started with zero, then played one, then six, then two, then judgment. So I've kind of been like bouncing all over the map of that series and, uh, just finished three and recently started four. Um, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Yakuza, it's these very compact open world games that take place in these really detailed recreations of uh, famous neighborhoods or famous red light districts specifically in Japanese cities. And you play as someone kind of on the margins of society, usually like a, a Yakuza figure or somebody who's had dealings with uh, Japanese organized crime. Um, Dogs of Four is a little bit different from the previous games in the series in that instead of playing as just one guy, you're playing as fittingly four different guys um, throughout the course of the story. And so far, I'm only at the second character. I've played through the first character story. I'm at the second one. Um, it's a little different from the other Yakuza games in that um, most of them kind of t t set the stakes for the story very early on, and then they give the character a goal, and the next 20 or so hours unfold as the character you know, pursues some mystery or tries to track down some person, um, get rid of some bad guy. There's always like a story that, that runs through the entire game. Yakuza 4, um, after having completed the first guy's chapters and just started the second guy's, I still don't really know what the story is. It's a little disorienting. Um, but yeah, otherwise, you know, it's a Yakuza game. If you like Yakuza, you'll probably like Yakuza 4. They're all fairly similar. Um, this one also adds the ability to go above ground and run across rooftops which I know some people are really into. So So is is Zero still the one to start with? That's oh, the yeah. one thing. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, Zero is sure. the one 
zero is the one you should start with, and there are, technically it's not it's a prequel. So there's some stuff that it references from other games in the series, but it's not super necessary for understanding what's going on. Zero stands alone by itself fairly well. Um, I don't know. It's it's a zero is still by far to me the best game in the series. It has the most kind of coherent story and also the story that isn't just like um, a mob like it is it is a mob story but it also is actually trying to say something in a way that the other games in the series really don't say very much and that's not necessarily a bad thing like there are plenty of crime stories that don't have a lot of deeper meanings that are still really compelling but Yakuza 0 is it has uh, it has thoughts about Japan it in seems the 1980s, like, let's say. yeah, it seems like a lot of the other ones kind of start on something and they kind of just based on hearing you talk about them, it kind of gets like lost in adding, you know, all these crazy things on top of it almost that it forgets to like get back around to the game. And then it kind of does that in later games or maybe, maybe not. But it seemed like at least when I was hearing you talk about zero, that that one seemed like the most complete, you know, top to bottom experience, I guess. Yeah, I mean they all have they all have like a lot of side diversions, a lot of side content. Um, I think I described it on one episode as what would happen if you mix together The Sopranos and Better Off Ted, and I stand by that <laughs> description um, because like there is a lot of wackiness in here, and Yakuza Four is no exception. There's still quite a bit of wackiness in it, but it is I think a little bit more. In some ways, a little more grounded. In some ways, a little more over the top than the other games in the series. Again, it doesn't really feel like the game has started yet, so it's a bit of a bizarre experience just playing it, um, playing it for the first time and not really knowing exactly where it's going. So hopefully, it all kind of comes together in the end. We'll see. I've been stuck on Jakusa 4 for a while because, like, at the start of the third guy's story, uh, it kind of changes gameplay styles. It ah, yeah. comes kind of, yeah, I don't want to spoil too much, but it kind of becomes like a weird uh, beat em up, and I've just, like, it's so much uh, endless button bashing, and I just couldn't finish it, and I uh, laid it aside. But yeah, back to the stories. I think three is also pretty focused for the series with uh, the orphanage. Yeah, it feels like this big. A lot of what you do in three is not like crime related. It's literally just taking care of kids, which is really funny for this series. Um, but it, it does tell this very. Um, it tells, for the most part, a very focused story that kind of goes a little off the rails at the end. Um, like, the second there's CIA involvement in anything, you know, it's kind of going off the rails. Um, but it is, I think, a little bit more of a a coherent story than what 4 has been so far. So, yeah, we'll see where it goes. Um, like I said, I just at the start of the second guy. So, I'm in prison now. <laughs> As you oh, be. that's that's the start of the third guy. Wait, then who's? I've only played through the first guy. 
Oh, yeah, you're, yeah it's, um, you go to prison and then you return out of prison and then you go to prison again and then you start the third guy. Oh, wow. Okay, fun. Gonna go That's through a whole prison. how I remember it, at least. Okay, so you go to prison twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the game is just, you know, people going in and out of prison, like an upstairs-downstairs thing. I think yeah. it's like a way out. Like forward and then backward, like a Michel Gondry music video. Um, that was a deep cut. Anyway, uh, um, yeah. <laughs> let's move on to talking about uh, some news in the games industry that is important because in a couple of months we are going to have new video game consoles to play with. At least some of us will, those of us who are ordering new video game consoles. I think most of us will probably wait a year or two before hopping on. Uh, yeah. But the week of November 9th, the Xbox Series X and the PS5 are launching. And mm-hmm. they're launching for the same price, 500 bucks. Seems reasonable. Um, the biggest news out, out of all this, though, is that Microsoft just acquired ZeniMax in advance of the launch of the Xbox Series X. You know what's crazy? I think for as small of a little outlet we are, I think you're probably the first person I've heard actually get that right. Because a lot of people have been saying they bought Bethesda, and it's like, no, they bought Bethesda's parent company. They bought ZeniMax. You know, and yeah. a lot of people are missing that, that this isn't just like a, a Skyrim Fallout thing. Like, they bought them all. So I think that's, yeah. That's that should huge. be noted, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, like, in fairness, most of their games, even from other studios, like uh, like Arcane and, and, and uh, yeah, are under the Bethesda get published label. under the Bethesda Games label. But yeah. in acquiring Zenimax, they also acquired Zenimax Online. So now Ooh. they're managing one of the biggest MMOs in, this, in the MMO space, just yeah. Elder Scrolls Online. Um, that's a pretty good feather in their cap. Yeah. Um, I think the number one thing that I've heard that I guess people that are kind of like a little bit of trepidation over is, does this mean exclusivity? I, uh, and I, I just want to point out like the last time this happened was Minecraft, right? Yeah. Like when Microsoft bought Minecraft, and that's where everybody went. Oh no, Minecraft's going to be Xbox only. Weirdly, you can probably play Minecraft in more places now yeah. since Minecraft bought or since Microsoft bought it than originally it's been on switch it's got crossplay i mean th- so it's hard for I, me to yeah. what i was gonna say was like and all yeah like microsoft has over the past few years been fairly liberal with like the concept of exclusivity in mm-hmm. systems that it publishes and also even stuff it outright owns but um it's i don't think it's so it's i'm assuming that it's a, a lot of this won't be purely exclusive or that even any of it will be purely exclusive, but it's still not great that we kind of have to hope for the, like, the grace of Microsoft to do that, to base it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, in a way. I, I, I mean, I think, I think I would assume that they're going to stick to their word because they have so far that we want people to play our games wherever they want to play them, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, in a way, I, I don't think there's any... I think if you had to say make a bet right now i'd i'd put zero dollars down on the the new elder scrolls for example being uh you know 
exclusive. I don't think that's what they're going to be doing at all with it. I think you're probably going to be looking at a scenario where what Sony has been doing similar to that, where you're going to have exclusive characters or exclusive, you know, timing or, or things like that. Maybe. I think um, they'll probably do. I would put good money on, on a lot of these things being timed exclusives. Yeah. Same, yeah. Same. yeah. Um, but I think like they'll, they'll do probably kind of what they like, what Sony did with horizon zero dawn, which is eventually ported to PC. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I that mean, took like two years, so yeah. Yeah, so I'm years, thinking yeah. like Starfield will be Xbox exclusive for a year, and then we'll, well come some to of PS5 this, or something like that. Some of this, I think, is in response to Sony going pretty hard after Bethesda. They had those two exclusives, uh, Deathloop and Ghost Tokyo. Wire. Yeah, Ghost um, Tokyo, so. Yeah. And um, then the, yeah. there was rumors they were negotiating Starfield to be a timed exclusive, which is a big one, you know. Um, and I think Microsoft heard that, saw the relationship kind of growing, and was like, "Yeah, we gotta, we gotta get ahead of this one." Um, um, it, go ahead. Just to make a note, they uh, Microsoft and Zenimax have said that they're gonna honor the exclusivity deals with those pre-existing games. Yeah, that, yeah. They probably, they maybe they won't in like a couple years or whatever, but yeah. So I mean that that is weird. I I gotta think that this is more about putting talent in house is what you know mm. kind of that idea that that they've been saying because you know you've got the ability kind of now. Um, I, I I've heard I don't know if anybody read uh, Jason Schreier's book about kind of like how Destiny for example got made or things like that, but it talks about how like when you get put under like a big studio for example, um, you know there there is talent or there is people around you. For example, like for Bungie's case, it was Vicarious Visions who can help you kind of work through some issues and you don't have to figure it all out yourself, you know. Um, And I think the most positive thing I can say is when you've got Obsidian, you've got Exile, you've got Bethesda. I mean, you've got every Western RPG fans dream team all under one house right now, you know, and the possibilities there are, are like are wild. I mean, you can do some stuff if you really wanted to. Um so that that's I think the biggest pro for me is putting that level and that that type of talent all under you know one one house for for gamers to kind of like see some real crazy awesome RPGs be made. I'm going to actually take the opposite approach to this which is that there's something I find really just screwed up in the whole affair for two reasons. One that Bethesda slash Zenimax is one of the largest publishers in the world for video games, and that it apparently was bleeding money so fast that it needed Microsoft to purchase it, because this is apparently spurred on by Zenimax having significant issues with money instability is really scary, that like there's so much instability that even the company that can literally just print money with Skyrim ports... Like, that's scary, but also just the whole idea of Microsoft basically now owning, like, I think it's now 23 game studios they own. Yeah. It's, um, I think it's really not good when all of these larger companies are just buying up everything else and consolidating into these, into a smaller number of massive, like, teams that you basically, that I think it is, I think it's poor for the industry um creatively and economically and i also kind of can't you know look at this and not you know come to the conclusion that a lot of these companies aren't gonna survive like like they bought all of 
ZeniMax's stuff, but we all know that there were comp- studios in there that were not were having you know were having financial problems. Arcane, for instance. And I, what I would say for for about that, and I'm not like trying to put an ultra positive spin on this because I think eventually a couple of these studios will end up closing. I don't think the intention right now is to close any of them, at least okay. for the next few years. Um, like I see this actually as kind of a lifeline for for studios like Arcane and Tango for the next little while, but then eventually some of these studios are going to underperform, and some of these studios are going to do well, and you know maybe Satya Nadella or, or Phil Spencer or Matt Booty are going to give them some rope, but whoever comes after them, no, probably yeah. not. Yeah, I, I think that there's there's always potential in these types of situations to get lost in the shuffle. Like, hey, what does Arcane bring that in Exile doesn't? No, I'm just just for example. I mean, obviously they're different studios, you know. But I think there's at least a chance that you can keep things internal and keep people from losing jobs when you have that level of studios in house. But I think where the the potential is is most interesting, I guess for me, would be what what do you do with all this kind of like mind or, or you know. Uh, experienced gaming creation experience um if, if you have you know multiple studios working on the same game is, isn't unheard of now it's kind of more common um when you actually like look at who does and doesn't do work on games these days uh, you know you might think a game is one person or one studio but yeah it's far from that um but i i think i think that this is one of those situations where someone was gonna buy if they were for sale someone was gonna buy them is it better Microsoft than EA? I don't know. Is it better them than, you know, some weird Vivendi type deal where Vivendi just basically couldn't wait to run, you know, a certain company into the ground to sell it? Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe. But I I, I have a feeling. Like, right? is it better than some, like, holding firm? Owning? Right. Oh, right. Yeah. absolutely. Or Tencent or. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's what Vivendi basically did with Blizzard. They tried to run him into the ground to drive their stock price down. You know, weird things like that. They were they were always trying to get rid of them. Um, yeah, think about how much work Ubisoft had to do to fend off a hostile yeah. takeover from Vivendi. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I mean, once a company kind of raises that flag and says, hey, we're for sale, someone's going to buy them. You know, and I, I don't know. I, I, I've, I've got a more positive vision of the new Microsoft, at least for gaming. I'm not talking about Windows and stuff, you know, um, than I think a lot of other people seem to. But, you know – just from my perspective, if, if you could say, hey, would you rather Bethesda be owned by Microsoft or Sony? I'm going to say Microsoft because at least that way I know I'm getting a PC port, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it might be exclusive. It might be this. It might be that. But I, I know we mentioned you know, where I have to be at the good graces of Microsoft to release some of these games to other platforms. But I know it's coming to PC and, and Xbox, whereas I know Sony has done some stuff lately like Horizon, but – I have zero confidence that that Spider-Man game is going to ever hit PC. If you want to talk about having to, you know, be in their good graces or whatever to get a port, maybe we do, maybe we don't, you know. But I'm, I'm, I'm always been primarily a PC gamer, right? So whenever these consoles started to kind of come into my space, the reason I'm, I, I've always found myself kind of siding with Microsoft because they've, they've done it. They've, they've said they were gonna, and then they've done it. Whereas Sony has said they've done it and they've dabbled in it, but I don't have any confidence that their big hits are going to hit PC, whereas I do feel like with Microsoft, not only is it going to hit it, it's going to hit Game Pass. Yeah, which I mean, is... that's, that's been a thing that they've done for the past few years. But, like, 
I mean, it's understandable that people are are a little trepidatious about this because, you know, back in the early 2000s, they were promising stuff for PC that just never materialized. And it's only, you know, Phil Spencer came and took over and, and like actually committed to doing mm-hmm. stuff for PC that this mm-hmm. all kind of changed. Oh, yeah. Um, but he's, he's changed it all. He's, he's changed the whole perspective uh, of, I think, where Microsoft was going to go. And I mean, I, I think the, the like, science... I just don't blame people for being like once bit, twice shy, you know? Yeah, sure, mm-hmm. sure. But I, I think if you're not looking at it as a different company since he's taken over, you're kind of not, you know, you're, if, you're, if you're looking at this as the old Microsoft where, oh, you know, where they were... The the, years. Yeah, yeah. Let's when they were on top and they were the leader and they felt a lot like Sony does now. Do you know what I mean? Like too bad. You're going to play our games. We've got good exclusives. Come get us. You know, that. whereas, you know, I, I feel like where Microsoft went w- wrong with, remember when they announced the Xbox uh, one, not the original Xbox, the Xbox one. And it was this all online, you know, we're going to kill off, uh, you know, the used market. People weren't ready for that yet. And I think now that we're announcing consoles that are kind of that exact idea, you know, maybe definitely some changes, you know, not the always on, not the DRM check, stuff like that. But, um, you know, it kind of feels like we're entering this all digital distribution world now uh, where something like Game Pass it makes a lot more sense because it's oh. just how people are buying their games now. Um, yeah. I mean, Microsoft I, was, I mean, A, they're a little tone deaf and B, they were seven years too early to do mm-hmm. something like that. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I mean, you know, what's the difference between then and now is right now, if I said, hey, I'm going to go to GameStop and buy this game, like, wouldn't that, doesn't that sentence sound a little weird to you right now? <laughs> like, doesn't it? Like, I, I remember somebody said, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go pick up this game when GameStop opens. I was like, huh? You know? <laughs> Whereas that would have felt totally normal then. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm part of the problem. I, I order stuff off Amazon. Right. Um, which has its own horrific stuff going on <laughs> in the background. Um, but, like, yeah, I, I haven't stepped into a GameStop in years, and I play a lot of fucking video games. Yeah, yeah, we're their, we're their target demo. I mean, we always have been, and, uh, you know, right now I go into it, it feels more like a Hot Topic that also sells video games. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. it's just yeah. all... Funko Pops and... Yeah, <laughs> like weird t-shirts, and you're like, what, what game is this from? Oh, it's from a, a K-pop band. Okay, well, why, why are you guys selling it in the GameStop? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, but yeah, I... I I don't know. I, like, I'm I'm not as negative. I'm not, I'm not 100% sold on this. But I, what I've been trying to tell people now for I feel like a good year is that even if you're kind of on the fence, they want you playing Game Pass. So that's your entrance. You can get a month of Game Pass for a buck, you know. And if you're not, if you're not sure about it, then hey, it's a dollar to to try Game Pass. Give it a shot. XCloud is built in. As of next year, you're going to get EA Play for free as part of Game Pass. I mean, I don't know if dollar for dollar there's a better deal, you know? So, yeah. I mean, I think they're they're going into that space to because they can leverage their Azure cloud mm-hmm. infrastructure. Um, and it's something that – I mean, the only companies that can do this are Google, Microsoft, and Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Google tried it's- it with Stadia, and they <laughs> tried to model that looked essentially like the model of co- an economic model looked essentially like the model of consoles, except for you don't actually get to own anything. Yeah. Um, mm. All the Amazon's negatives and none doing... of the positives. Sorry? All the negatives and none of the positives. It felt like, you know, like they had, they could have, they could have really, like you're saying, leveraged so much. And it was like, instead, it's just, we're just going to basically give it to you. 
um, we're going to feed it to you, but you're not going to get to own it. You're not going to get to really, really play anywhere type stuff with it. So that was, yeah. I think, their biggest so mistake. What Amazon's doing seems to be quite a bit more in line with what Game Pass is doing. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how Luna shakes out. Um, but again, with these kinds of things, it's once bitten, twice shy. So if Stadia screwed it up, who knows if Amazon will be, will be able to do it. And they, for whatever reason, Amazon has just not had success kind of popping into the gaming space. Like, mm-hmm. what the hell happened to Crucible, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, well, the, the, the ace up Amazon's sleeve is always going to be Twitch, right? I mean, because yeah. I know. I mean, all you, of thought, us, you well, thought so, but then, again, right. look what happened to Crucible. Right. Um, I mean, but then I, I don't know if they've really figured out yet how to how to leverage Twitch. I think right now they're reliant on paid ad feeling things with their popular streamers who are like, yeah, I'll do this and you're going to pay me. But at the same time, it feels like an ad and my viewers want me to go back to PUBG immediately after playing this this game that you're selling me on. You know, so I think that this, the idea has to be how do you organically move the streamers to your games and Twitch will figure it out. I mean, well, Amazon will figure it out eventually, but it, it is a crucible, that's for sure. Yeah, it's kind of weird because they have by far the most information of anyone else with the, right. the viewership numbers and everything. So they should be able to uh, sort of pick the games that they want or at least uh, have a better understanding of the market um, to, to acquire games that streamers or that will get streamed. But they just haven't seemed to, made a, uh, to have made a move towards that yet. Yeah, this this announcement that they're getting into like the streaming, I think it's interesting. Game streaming, I should say. Um, I, I think it's interesting, but I don't know. I mean, it's it's one of those things where I would I would personally wait uh, to see kind of what that even looks and feels like before you know I jump all the way in. And I, I'm probably more positive on streaming than most, but it's more because I don't see the I don't see the benefit of their delivery system just yet. When you know, I mean, it's I it's the, the same third party is... games. The potential is, is is there, and it's it might be really cool. Like you you're watching a streamer play a game, you can instantly just press a button and then be playing it alongside them. Mm-hmm. Um, like that potential is there. Whether Amazon will actually leverage it, we'll have to see. Um, my guess is that the tactic like this is one of those things that's probably easier said than done. I can you know propose it, but then how do you actually implement it? Yeah. Right. When you lift yeah. up the the veil and start messing around with the code, I don't know. And um, then on like a, a viewership side of things, like like with Among Us, like I I would watch streams of that and then I just bought it on Steam. And Steam is only a click away. It's not like right. it's significantly more difficult to just open up Steam. Yeah, and and I think that's a I think Among Us might be a perfect example of this, right? Like, would I? Would I necessarily play Among Us, want to click a button and play it on Amazon? Eh, I mean, probably, you know, but I don't know if that's really a selling point right now. Um, I think more people would probably be more, you know, I, I don't care where I get or play the game or whatever. I'm more interested in, in playing with my streamer than I am, you know, easily getting the game, I guess. So that's, that's I still think, the, the lifeline or whatever is how do you get from the streamer to the person's hand kind of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll see how these companies work this stuff out. I honestly, I've, I've, I've made a lot of predictions about the game industry, and most of them turn out wrong. Um, <laughs> so I don't want to make very strong predictions about 
what I think next gen will, will look like and what it's going to do to the games industry. For now, it seems like we're kind of slowly inching towards this this more digital future. We're still doing the traditional console thing. Um, we're still doing the traditional PC thing. We'll see where this all goes. I I can't really say one way or the other how it's going to shake out. Um, all right, let's move on to the main topic of this episode, which is crossovers and mashups. So a few episodes ago, we talked about some of our favorite crossovers and mashups, crossovers and mashups that we would like to see, series and games that we would like to blend together into a delicious smoothie of ludic goodness. Um, today, what we're going to do is I made just like a random list of games that we could combine together. And I told my wonderful guests, I'm just going to throw these at you and see what you do with them. So I've got a bunch of pairs of games like, you know, what would happen if you stuck Watch Dogs together with Katamari Damacy? What would happen if you stuck Crackdown together with Civilization? You know, stuff like that. We'll see where this goes. We'll see what wacky ideas my friends can come up with. Um, so first one on the list, let's just start easy. Actually, it's the second one on the list. Um, Roller Coaster Tycoon and Persona. What would happen if you stuck those two <laughs> series together? See, I really like this one because I think I think I would get lost in building the park and then kind of like trying to theme it around the characters, right? Like I think that would be uh-huh. like you go to like a almost like a Psychonauts, you go to a land that's themed around that person. Um, I think that would be kind of my my own take on it, and I really really get lost in designing those types of things. Like um, when I play. Uh, what is it? Uh, I want to say Coaster Planet. Is it, is it Planet Coaster or Coaster Planet? Planet Coaster. I can't remember. Uh, Planet Coaster, yeah. Whatever this is I one of your games Planet... of the year, dude. Yeah, I know, I know. I don't know why I guess that. Whenever I play that, like, I always try to get, like, in a mood almost, right? Like, and then design a theme park around that. And I think that's exactly what I would do in this type of game. You'd vibe really hard. Um, I forget which, which one of them has it, but I think Planet Coaster is, like, VIPs that walk into your park and then you kind of yeah. get rewards for satisfying them. them. Yeah. That's Rollercoaster Coon 3 also. Oh, okay, yeah. That's, so that's uh, what I'm imagining is like expanding that VIP system. So you're like building a playground for like specific people and trying to satisfy their desires and then uh, if you satisfy their desires enough I guess they go on a date with you. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely dating in this. I'm not. Gonna... <laughs> that's that's the whole point, right? I kind of imagine it as almost the opposite, where you you build your own like mindscape, and then other people join that and try and like sort of complete it. Like you, you set up a a park that is uh, levels that they have to complete, and if they do that, like you can even have it be online. <laughs> if they do that, then then they can date you. It's a dating app now. <laughs> so like basically you build your own like I the Somnium files levels and then people like yeah. solve the puzzles. Yeah, and exactly. they win, they date you. The, yeah. I'll be honest, the idea that I had had coming into this 
or thinking of this as more conservative, you play a Japanese teenager whose father is the main architect and constructor of a large, um, of an increasingly large theme park that's existing in, I don't know, let's say Kyoto or Hiroshima. And you're like, work in this person's working up. It turns out that without their knowledge, all of these different rides are based on the psychosexual Jungian fears undercut in the population. <laughs> so, so it's just like a penis demon ride. Yes, and so what you do is when you go, you don't actually like explore. You don't actually like go outward to explore the rest of Japan. All the entire game takes place is just on this building compound where they're building these parks. Except when you go on the rides, they transport you into the way that the population has changed and morphed their perception of each real world area. So the way so when you eventually solve all these problems, it means that the rides themselves change, and that leads to new types of remixed bonus levels. What I'm imagining <laughs> is like you're actually doing the combat while you're on the ride. Yeah. So it's like you know the roller coaster level from from your automata. That's what yeah. I'm imagining this is like. It's like that uh, Toy Story Disney attraction. Oh yeah. Uh, like those what's railgun, it called? Uh, a Toy Story Mania. Yeah, my idea for this was like just make it like a long ghost train and name it the sewers. <laughs> That'd be incredible. Uh, but yeah, there's there's like all, all these rides now, like especially Disney World. We mentioned this uh, on the theme park episode, where like they're combined gaming with the rides. So there's like the Smuggler's Run at Disney World which is a flight sim mixed with a theme park ride. Um, and yeah, there's this Toy Story Mania, as, as Brisson mentioned. Uh, there are lots of opportunities to kind of combine gaming and riding. And oh, I yeah. Think you could do this in a pretty fun way. Um, yeah, like there I'm were, really excited about that, actually. There's like a, there used to be this one ride at Disney World where you would like vote on the ending of the ride. So... I think you could you could combine that. You could make like dialogue choices while you're on the ride. Yeah. That um that Star Wars ride where if you don't do good, you actually get to ride the ride longer or whatever. What was that one? The the star you know they just built it. Smuggler's Run. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I, I only know it from the Jenny Nicholson video, but uh yeah, I think I think someone was saying like if you actually don't do well like as a team on the ride, you actually ride it for longer, so people go in and screw up. A, purposely i guess so that might be something too like if you do the ride well it's uh almost like a like a combo rating where you get to ride a different version or something yeah that could be that could be a fun a fun little way to to mix things up um all right let's try another one what would happen if you were to mix together halo and journey yeah i'm excited about uh, that one you know um personally so I enjoyed the first three Halo games well enough, but, like, to me it did always seem like kind of a waste that they have what's this, like, very big, like, universe with a bunch of cool aliens and these stories and science fiction drama, but, like, you're always at the end of a gun. So for me, like, the the first thought I have is, like, oh, it's just kind of like a Halo game where you don't necessarily shoot people, you just kind of, like, explore this lost world. Yeah, like especially there are a lot of places, um, like especially Halo 2 and 3, where you're kind of going through all these ruins. Um, that could be that could be something that would be really fun to ex just like, you know, explore as yeah. like the lone master chief and you don't necessarily or, have to shoot you, anything. Or you're maybe you're like, 
a Covenant soldier at the end, because the war ends in three, right? Like, the main war. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, maybe you're, like, a Covenant soldier who's now, like, kind of trying to explore, like, part of where they used to live, except it's now this giant ruin because of the war. Well, my idea would be almost, um, I don't know, ODST is is still one of my favorites, but uh, you know the audio log story that gets kind of told throughout the course of that game um, where Sadie is basically working with the AI director that her parents helped create to escape the city, to escape the Covenant attack um, while she's trying to get out of New Mombasa. Um, I always really liked that story. So that's kind of what I was thinking about this was like basically, you know, kind of end of the war, Covenant has, you know, pulled out and you're a person working with an AI kind of just traveling from one point to another. Um, You know, no guns, no anything, just exploring the world, kind of really laying into the effects of this war with this alien colony that's been pretty much fought outside of civilian spaces, I guess, if that makes sense. You know, like we've never really experienced – this is probably one of the few times that audio logs where we actually see like the civilian side of the war, right? So I think that's kind of where you can really explain, you know, like this isn't just something that that affected, you know, Master Chief and, and, you know – in cool exotic locales like a James Bond, like this stuff has like real world effects. There was an actual war that happened and, you know, people died and cities were decimated and things like that. And I think that's, that would be a really like moving way to explain it is just to have an AI and one person kind of move through an area, um, you know, point A to point B and just kind of the stories that happen along that way. Yeah. You see a bit of it in Halo too, but it really doesn't become a part of the series until ODST and Reach. Um, so it's, it's I, nice to, it'd be nice to kind of get like that, that hidden side of war. Uh, so I was, I was thinking of like times in Halo where you don't use your gun too often. And the, the two parts I thought of is like when you're first in the Warthog and exploring and like you kind of drive between areas and then you use your gun, but then, most of that driving is like peaceful and you're just on these giant hills that you drive off of all the time and die. Uh, (laughs) But then the second one I thought of was uh, when you first get to the, uh, the place, uh, the underground bunker that the flood is released from, you have a whole section of it where you're kind of just not fighting covenant. Like a bunch of them are running away from it. So I imagine like, a different story where you're on one of the rings, you're not a combat person, and you're just sort of exploring, and then halfway through the game, you accidentally open a door that has flooded it, and now it's a horror game. <laughs> <laughs> now you just run for your life, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a factor that that level is, right? Like, you, you find the shotgun, and you're like, okay, this is my weaponry now. Um, that's a factor what that level is. So it's it, it, it's a... It's a tried and true uh, kind of format, just like stretched out into into a full game, which I think would be really neat. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the next one we should mix together? How about Forza Horizon and Super Mario Odyssey? What would that look like? Well, the benefit of Mario Odyssey is that it's a big travelogue adventure. So um, you can basically just, like, I, like you could basically combine it with almost any video game of, like, because you're going, like, from one kingdom to the next to the next, and you get like, this cool, tra- like, pamphlet. So, like, combining it with a, with an actual, like, literal car game, 
is almost too easy, so let's, you know, add a little bit extra Mario. <laughs> and you can now, Cappy is actually, Mario can throw Cappy from his car to other cars, which will allow him to jump between cars, like that astral projecting game, uh, Driver San Francisco. And with that, Mario and Cappy and Peach have to now drive on a car to get from one end of the so Mushroom like Kingdom. So literally possessing cars. Yes. Awesome. And like you Mario Kart. Yeah. That would actually that would be so cool. Like you're hopping from car to car, and if it's like throwing like the Hot Wheels DLC, so you're like going through all these fantastical like plastic tracks with various different attractions and, and weird monsters along the way, that would actually be really dope. Um, I just I mentioned it, but um, there's a game I'm called Driver San Francisco. Oh yeah. Um, which uh, an Ubisoft like sandbox driving game where the gimmick is that you play as a dead cop who possesses cars, and so you can actually project into whatever car you want to. And I'm kind of basically just thinking of that, but like with actual bosses, and like, and, and sort of these bigger worlds, and you can go off road. <laughs> and then also, some cars have hats already. So yes, so you have to hit them. you have to hit those cars before you can possess them. See, I, I for me, I think Forza for me is always about the time trial, right? Like the, the the speed at which you get from one spot to another. So I guess what I would do is I would basically have like paths between the worlds of Odyssey, and you have to hit certain time trials, which unlocks almost like certain uh you know types of hats or outfits or something like that. But and I think I like your idea a little bit better because Forza to me is always frustrating about having to get you know shave a second or two off of a time. So. I think I'd rather just be in the actual racing itself than, you know, in the in the pathways to it. It would be it would make for some kind of interesting gameplay where you have like you're you're able to transfer between cars and car uh, using the hat, but also it's a time trial. So like you have to find the most efficient transfer between different cars and like to find the best path. I think that could make for some some cool gameplay. Yeah, and you could have um, you could have like choices to make along the way, like. Maybe the terrain changes, it would be better to take an SUV, but you yeah. also want the mm -hmm. speed, so maybe you want to, to possess a sports car. You could, well, you could turn uh, it into, like, a whole strategy thing. What if you could control, like, a bulldozer, and you can then turn into, like, Killdozer, that Clint Walker movie, and you could, like, destroy, like, a natural <laughs> barrier, and then you would, like, switch to a sports car, and then you could jump over it, like, in a Fast and Furious movie. So, like, add a puzzle-solving element to it? Yeah. Yeah, that would be – like, it would be – I'm getting, like, really traumatic flashbacks to the Batmobile puzzles from Arkham Knight right now. Well, well, this is, well, this is also a Mario game, so they're, they, you've got multiple solutions. Okay, good. Just my only thought about, like, uh, big uh, running – how are those uh, big slabs of rock cults? Like, the running ones that are in uh, Mario 64? Oh, yeah. yeah, it's jumps. You can like spirit check them and you can like jump and use them for bridges and lay them down and you can like drive your car over in them. Oh, like you oh, build shit. the road by possessing the like the, the giant paving stone dudes from the, yeah. the the castle level. Oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> that is a brilliant idea. Yeah. And the really funny thing is in, in Super Mario 64, they have dialogue about how they're tired of being stepped on and driven over. It would yeah. be, it'd be <laughs> so hilariously cruel. 
I love this. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, let's try another one. Uh, what would happen if you were to mix together XCOM and Animal Crossing? <laughs> I mean, I, I think XCOM can work with anything after uh, uh, Rabbids, Mario Rabbids, right? I mean, yeah. so I'm not going to rule out it working, but man. I don't know how you put almost any kind of combat in Animal Crossing. That game is just so so pure feeling, you know? Well, well, you set up your village, but then your village, like, depending on who you bring to it and how what your relationship is with them, that's your squad, and then you go out on missions. Yeah. Um, <laughs> ooh, and, big, and that's why it's, like, great, because Nintendo has, like, 400 of those people, so that you, if they die, you've got reserves. <laughs> yeah. Um, wait, but actually... Or what? Yeah, it's it's hard to imagine the villagers fighting, which is why I'm gonna actually say that the XCOM crossover it's Animal Crossing, but with XCOM aliens, and you basically run this like space colony that's about to invade Earth, and you become friends with all these alien monsters, oh, and you try to like build them up and give them toys and like fish with them, and that will make them stronger when they try to kill all the humans on Earth. <laughs> Sounds like some kind of humanist spore. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Maybe you lean into the other part of XCOM that kind of really works, like the, uh, you know, protecting, like, so instead of, like, going to a, how do they call them, the latest XCOM, it used to be, like, the, the alien would land and start abducting and killing people, and you have to, like, go, like, do a real fast mission there. But maybe instead of that, it's like, you know, we found a, a weird butterfly, and you have to, like, pick your squad really quickly, go there, and there's, like, a timed mission where you have to... <laughs> like extract <laughs> the butterfly or something or, you know, a rare fish or something. Just kind of like added like a timed element to it, I guess. Yeah, you like those insect games they're doing now on Animal Crossing. So they already got time stuff. You know what the Kappa suggested kind of reminds you of? It's like turn-based strategy Pokemon Snap. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> like, the, like the Snorlax is gonna slowly fall asleep if you don't get there in like the right amount of turns, and you've got to like wade through a, you know, a pile of Pikachu's, I guess. Yeah, like you're trying to take, um, you're trying to take, like, trying to make a nature documentary, um, but you have to position your audio guy and your cameraman and your zoologist uh, all in the right place to to get the proper footage, um, but they each have different abilities to kind of get across the terrain. So it becomes this turn-based strategy thing where you have to position them properly and then make sure the cameraman's camera's aimed in the right direction. And then you get, I don't know, the picture of the alien or, or the yeah, you have fly. Yeah, you have like a squad in Overwatch just to get the, the right picture <laughs> in case it moves across you. Yeah. Um, yeah, that would be a really weird game, but you know what? I'm up for it. Uh, let's try another one. Let's uh, mash together Mass Effect and Danganronpa. Um, Danganronpa is <laughs> the game where you're like you're trapped with, in like a high school or something, and you have to like kill each other. Or... Yeah, so it's a game where uh, it's the murder game where um, you win if you kill one of your other classmates and get away with it. So uh, there are a whole bunch of murders, and you have to kind of discover who committed them over the course of the game. Uh, and it's otherwise, if you don't murder anyone, you stay there trapped forever until you die. Uh, so, yeah, that's... I, I mean, I think you definitely set it on the Normandy, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, oh, or 
you set it on we're the citadel too sure yeah. but i i think you play with your relationship levels right because like yeah. mass effect always really loves dealing with that right so if you build up a high enough relationship level maybe you don't have to kill that person right maybe they become like your partner almost um but then you have to figure out you know like you get to choose your one romance and then the two of you go around and have to murder everybody else in the norm <laughs> without getting caught <laughs> or you have to, or you have to romance someone and then murder them. <laughs> oh, that's dark. <laughs> um, well, Caden's the first I to mean, die, no matter that's what. I can't say basically. Caden, but... <laughs> oh, yeah. What happens to the one? I just spoiled the plot, Donkrob one. That's okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that I think, um, like the the idea of setting it in a closed space, like some section of the Citadel or some section of the Normandy, works really well. Um, I wrote this combination down, and then I realized this is basically the setup of Consortium. I don't know if any of you folks ever played that game. No. Um, but yeah, it's it's essentially uh, it's an FPS RPG set aboard a an airplane, effectively, uh, and there's a murder mystery that you have to solve. Um, so it's essentially just Consortium. It's just Among Us. <laughs> yeah. You're just playing Got Among it. Us, but with all the all the like different alien races from Mass Effect. That would that would work really well. I'd be down so for that. Sounds like a really good browser game. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're like a drop in, drop out, like mobile game almost. You know, um, one other thought about this crossover is like I'm going to go back to one of the more I don't want to call it disreputable, but one of the more controversial parts of Mass Effect, which is the loyal, which is the like the Paragon and Renegade system. What if if you did too many things that were like purely good or kind, you would be seen as a bigger target by the other people trying to kill you. But if you did too many bad things, people would really distrust you and want to kill you really quickly to get back to normal. So you actually want to like hold the actions you do in kind of a vaguely nebulous, theoretically neutral zone. <laughs> Yeah, you, you want to kind of get the target off your back so that you don't get killed by um, by whoever the serial killer is in this game. Uh, and Danganronpa is always a series of culprits like every, because you always catch the culprit. So if you get caught, by the way, you get executed in Danganronpa. So, um, but imagine like Danganronpa with a single serial killer. I think that could work pretty well. Yeah. Um. Let's do another one. Let us mix together Turok and Sly Cooper. <laughs> yes. Um, Turok versus Sly Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's imagine like, having just... to steal raptor eggs or something, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this also, uh, Sly's also like gone through time travel, right? Because like, I assume, yeah. yes, yeah. and Turok is just that, like, so, yeah. Um, do we so want bring to have... them all the way back to the time of the dinosaurs? Yeah. I, actually, do we want this to go like from spiritual crossover to like full crossover, where Sly is actually hanging out with Turok? It could be oh, that. Man. It could be whatever you want it to be. I can imagine like, well. yeah. of like a maybe like an asynchronous combat though, where like you're one person's playing as Turok trying to stop the theft, almost, <laughs> oh, and then. And then Sly Cooper's on the other side trying to, you know, steal something. And you got dinosaurs kind of as, like, the neutral third party trying to stop both. Whereas, uh -huh. like, Turok can murder the dinosaurs 
but he has combat. Sly can sneak past the dinosaurs, but if he gets caught, it's over. You know, kind of like a like a two two people in two different ways trying to have the same goal, and it's kind of like a race. That'd be cool. Mm -hmm. You you can imagine someone connecting the uh, uh, because this is the modern modern video game industry. You can imagine someone uh, connecting via mobile app to play as what's his name Benny the turtle. Yeah, and like can, to like a uh, direct slide. <laughs> um, all I was going to say is that I do think there is one thing that this crossover absolutely needs. And that is for a sequence in which uh, Sly Cooper builds a giant bow and uses it to shoot that like sticky, that staff he has as an arrow. And that's how you kill the final big monster, big dinosaur. Absolutely. You need to you need to go all the way out and over the top for something as bizarre as this. There was um, some game that kind of that played with um, I can't remember it, what it was. It's a very indie game. Um, and I think the idea behind it was one team is invisible and one team is invincible, right? And then what would that would look like to play against those two like ideas? That's kind of what I'm thinking for this one. Um, but yeah, I would, I would at least more games with dinosaurs is really what I want, no matter what. So go for it. This one's greenlit. Absolutely. I, I think, I don't think video games have enough dinosaurs in them. I just, like, they're, they're Jurassic Park games, obviously, but I just, I want to play as a dinosaur more often. I just want to be the dino. It's weird how, like, if you said, like, there's not enough, like, dinosaur video games or pirate video games or like i mean it does seem like there's like these weird gaps right with all these like very popular for kids to pretend to be or play around with uh, i mean there's not even a lot of the cowboy games anymore right i mean yeah, yeah i know there's red dead and like you know but there, there's not a lot of games in those spaces anymore it seems like everything that comes out is a gritty sci-fi shooter somehow for some reason you know so you know what there's that, none of there are no mummy video games <laughs> Huh. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're right. Because yeah. I was like thinking like, you get like, uh, how is that Xbox 360 game called with the 50 zombie? Uh, Chubbs, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Zombie? Stubbs, I think it, what it is. Yeah, Stubbs the zombie. Mm -hmm. You get like stuff like that for zombies, but like nearly no mummy games. Yeah. Yeah. Even vampire games are pretty rare since I guess the Blood Omen series and Blood Rain kind of died out. You've pretty much just got masquerade and i guess that vampire game but i think that was yeah. kind of more of a one-off but yeah even vampire games have been kind there's, of phasing out there's also very few wolf wolf man games or werewolf games but yeah. there's bloodborne order 8086 if that counts i guess um i mean and it counts. Sonic you might not want it to count but <laughs> yeah but i mean I like probably the most like high profile one was sonic unleashed <laughs> <laughs> Oof, that, that feels bad. <laughs> or the 2005 Alter Beast remaster. It oh, sucks. God, I, yeah. Yeah, the god-awful beat-em-up. Oh, man. All right, let's 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 stick together some more games. Yeah. Um, let us marry Star Fox to the Batman Arkham games and see what happens. Uh, you're going to have a, you're gonna have a bat... Bat airship, right? Is that what's going to I've constructed a giant airship, just small enough to manage to go through all of Gotham City and an online and an interspace asteroid. Now fly through a thousand rings <laughs> yeah, for this um, Riddler checkpoint. <laughs> I mean, if 
if this isn't like crossover between characters, I'm going to assume Slippy Toad becomes the Green Lantern. If it's more of just like a theoretical one, I'm going to go with that the main character is the, is both the Batman like stealthy character and they're also the spaceship at one like at one person. So, so you can like, Batman fuses with the spaceship. <laughs> no, no, it's more like Batman or Fox or whoever is the main character. Uh, let's say Batman um, is basically he doesn't like it's not like a Gundam or whatever. It's just like he flies in space because Batman can fly in space because this is a space shooter game now. And then yeah. when he comes, but then when he flies back down to Earth, it, the game kind of naturally transitions from a spit from like a on rails space shooter to an actual like sandbox adventure game. So you could actually, like, jump in from zero-G and, like, fly from free-fall from space, get back to normal, and then land perfectly comfortably on the top of a building. So it's like No Man's Sky, but with cities on the planets. Okay, so apparently I've crossed over three games. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's totally fine. I think my idea would be to kind of also put in a third game into the mix, and it would be Starlink, right? Where... You have the ship, you have so that is like its own character almost, like so Star Fox. Then you have the people that plug into the ship, the pilots that plug into the ship that give the ship different abilities, right? And then I would just be really crazy with like uh like tertiary uh, Batman characters. So if you for some reason, you know, like Lego Batman it up and you can, you know, plug in I don't know, who who's a random nightwing into Hook it, it like up, all this, yeah all of a sudden the star fox ship can be invisible or stuff like that but just really kind of reach back into that like weird batman back series of characters and mess with that and then just plug them into like a star fox game i think that'd be pretty fun yeah what's what's calendar man do um oh i know exactly Dude, like calendar travel man would back be... and forth in time maybe i don't no, know oh no 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 calendar man would be you know how an animal crossing you have like you have the characters who only show up on certain holidays. That's Calendar Man. Is he's basically like he's the character who exists to make you make sure that you play games on on certain like holidays because you won't be able to get your Thanksgiving themed ship if you don't hang out with him on the last Thursday of November. <laughs> but then, like, so yeah, so that's basically Calendar Man. He's a very weak enemy who gives you free DLC skins for your ship. Yeah, and then you've got Oracle, who, like, shows you where all, like, the hidden, like, Easter eggs are, you know, like, she, she, like, as soon as you plug Oracle into the Star Fox ship, now you can see the, the weird Easter eggy things that pop up only for her character, um, and you got a, Batman's got a trillion characters, so you never run out. Yeah, you can do this forever and ever. Um, so, let's try another one, and the only reason I'm, I'm bringing this one up is because I think I have an idea for it. What would happen if you mixed together Portal and Tropico? Uh, I w- you should go for that. Uh, I want to hear your idea. Oh, my idea is that um, instead of being like a a typical um, like fake Latin American dictator, now you Glados it has to run a colony somewhere for some reason, and so you're effectively controlling GLaDOS in like a satirical city building sim where if the 
peons aren't behaving as you want them to, you can just subject them to neurotoxin and start over. And that would be really fun, actually. Like, you basically make a series of, like, tests for them, you know? Yeah. And it's like, oh, you guys aren't performing within my standards for, you know, capitalism. <laughs> it's time, time to electrocute you until you do. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's a cool idea. I think, like, you can kind of maybe mix in a little of that, like, idea that, like, GLaDOS is just messing with people because she can. Um, you know, and Tropico definitely has some of those feelings as well. Like, you know, El Presidente just kind of does stuff because he wants to. Um, so I think with GLaDOS, you can kind of combine those two and just really make a series that just kind of like the poor people who are subjected to these, you know, jerks <laughs> kind of constantly. Yeah, the I mean, like Tropico, to what little I know of it, is kind of like a satire about the kind of exploitative nature of Banana Republics and Portal is also like a satire about the exploitative nature of like clinical science labs. So like it kind of makes a lot of sense that GLaDOS would somehow end up in this like weird in this like new place that's basically just filled with other people to abuse. Um but what but I what if the portal technology was like used on a larger scale? Like you have to manage people by using like, if you thought it was hard using, like, one blue and orange portal, what if you had, like, a billion you had to organize? <laughs> yeah, or, or, like, one giant one, and you had, like, the superpowers competing to, like, appease your island because you can basically, you know, teleport an entire army uh, into the other's back door, you know? So, like, rather than you having to, to try to get into the good graces of the – what is it in Tropico 6? I think it's, like, the allies, the axis – and then later on the capitalists and then, you know, obviously the communists. So I think that'd be kind of an interesting angle too, to take with it is like everybody trying to make you happy rather than you trying to do the other thing. Except I was thinking, I was thinking uh, like a lot more to like smaller scale in that you'd use the portals to enhance your, uh, your city or whatever's uh, transportation system. But then it, you could like fuck it up and like uh, move portals while a bus is going through them and like chop a bus in half by accident. <laughs> that, that's pretty dark. I, I was thinking, um, what if it's a portal game that's a prequel to uh, Portal 1 and 2 that you play as Cave Johnson and this is how he made his money in oh. order to set up <laughs> Aperture Science? Yes. <laughs> Like instead of like a like a banana public theme, it's got uh, a banana republic theme. It's got like a theme where it's like just weird science, you know, like yeah. with an exclamation <laughs> point at the end of it. And like he's just doing all these weird experiments and like creating all these weird inventions and his people are like subjected to it rather than like being a part of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That could be that could be a lot of fun. I think there are a lot of fertile ideas because they're so they've got kind of a similar tone, these two games. So there's yeah. lots of ways you can kind of like mash them together in a fun way. Uh, let's try another one. Let's do let's do something that's that's. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Time out, time out. Are we doing like crazy game mashups because it's episode sixty nine and we're trying to smash them together? Is that what we're? Is that the theme? <laughs> well, I mean, did it I was just like get this? Seven when we first did the crossover <laughs> episode, right? 
<laughs> I just want to make sure because I, I, I didn't even think or, of that. I, like, oh, I don't yeah. even associate sixty nine with sex stuff anymore. I like I just see I just see the number sixty nine. I'm like, oh yeah, nice sixty nine. Ah. <laughs> like, think about think the about sex possession. How convenient. Um, so let's try Max Payne and Jet, Jet Set Radio. Oh man! Like? All I can think about is that dumb Ooh. mid poop face, like grinding on a rail for some reason. <laughs> like, that's just, I, that that face, but yeah. A prequel. It's Max Payne when he was younger, and and like it's a it's a skateboarding game, right? Or uh, roller, yeah, it's like a roller skating game. Roller skating. Oh, okay. Yeah. Perfect. That's even better. Max, when Max Payne was young, he was really into rollerblading, but he was still Max Payne. So teenage <laughs> Max Payne now grinds hard on the streets of whichever city he's in, killing all his targets. New with Jersey. Cool. Somewhere. Like the, the last one was so easy because the tone was so, and then this one is the exact opposite, right? Like it is yeah. the grittiest of grim dark mixed with like the happiest Scott infused. What is know? the soundtrack for this game? Oh yeah. <laughs> It's ska. It's a lot of ska. <laughs> it's ska, but performed live by someone who has a visible glum face. It's it's like ska, but they only play like they they shift the pitch or something, so it's only like downbeat or like minor chords. That's <laughs> <laughs> like old school streetlight manifesto. Yeah. <laughs> I just like, want to make it like a skating game with uh, a skating game with bullet time. Yeah. Just like. Yeah. When you, like, get some air, you can hit bullet time, and you can slow down, and you can, like, do a sideways trick, uh-huh. or just held yourself in the air, and make sure you land correctly. I, I always focus in on that strained face, because I, I can't, that that face will always be Max Payne to me. That, that's the only thing I've, that's, I've got to have that. Yeah, he has to be, he has to be, like, kind of making that grimace every time yeah. he goes, <laughs> he goes and, like, does a shot. So I imagine you combine the shooting and the rollerblading and the bullet time, like Brasson suggested, and it becomes this like balletic, yeah. uh, this balletic third-person shooter where you have to kill other rollerbladers, but it also has a bizarrely grim, dark tone for some reason, even though you're roll- rollerblading <laughs> it's, everywhere. It's just like, becoming a grasshopper game right now. So yeah, yeah, yeah it is. It, it also reminds me a bit of I Am Pedro. Which, <laughs> yeah. Like, it would basically be like I am Pedro. So what I'm thinking of in terms of like really like a tonal mismatch between gameplay and story, I'm thinking like Marizad's Catalyst, where the where the story is so super grim, but you're like running through these pristine white environments and like parkouring everywhere and doing all these incredible maybe, tricks. Maybe you can do it like um, I don't know, maybe like incorporate some Dark Souls into it, and like Max Payne is the invader. Like so, you're like you're you you're just happily grinding your lap around listening to Scott, and then all of a sudden, like you know, this like very dark doom metal starts playing. You know that there's a Max Payne in your game, and he's trying to end your endless grind combo. And you gotta like that works so well with actually like spoilers for the story. Max Payne three that works so well because Max thinks he's doing the right thing throughout Max Payne three, and then he realizes, (laughs) oh shit, I've been used. And so, like, Max is invading your game in your happy fun times and thinks he's doing the right thing. <laughs> and you have to convince him that he's mistaken and that he's being used by uh, stronger forces than him. 
and here's the thing if you if you sign up to play as max Payne, you immediately go on like an fbi watch list because you're a complete psychopath <laughs> uh, I, also i'm assuming that like if you're not playing as max Payne, then he appears like procedure in a procedurally generated way like mr x or the alien from alien isolation right yeah he just he just he just shows up he's inevitable like once you hit like a certain happiness level in the game like you're really enjoying it that's when he shows up no no i got a better idea um you got like uh the anti-copy stuff they had for um god how's that a croatian game called like the shooting game Uh, serious sam yeah serious sam uh when you use it there um and you got an illegal copy you get like an unkillable beast my idea is you got like a time trail and it runs out after like two minutes. After two minutes, it just spawns a Max Payne and you try to outrun it and do more tricks. Oh, it catches up and it's just outright murders you. Imagine if like during like mid trick, like you're playing the skater and then Max Payne puts you into bullet time. Oh, that would be so oh, annoying. No. <laughs> <It'd> be evil. <laughs> okay, but. Uh, I was I was thinking like a little bit the opposite where you're Max Payne and he's like post Max Payne three he's retired he's just trying to live his life and then all these skaters show up and his only solution is to murder them. <laughs> so it's so because they graffiti his house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like this is like that's John Wick, right? Well, I mean, except that, you know, instead of killing a dog, it's just kind of enjoying life outside of his house. No, no, no. This is they graffiti his dog? Yeah. He comes, he comes yeah. out and starts telling some grim story about how he lost everyone he's ever loved, and you're just like, don't care, crank up the gold finger. I'm going to hit some gnarly grinds. <laughs> just, just paint the dog neo-pink and just leave it like that the whole game. The um, I'm also thinking that if this is old Max Payne doing all these sweet tricks, then there has to be a thing about how like kids these days don't know anything about roller skating or rollerblading. <laughs> yeah, like he like solemnly like swallows half a bottle of painkillers and then puts on his rollerblades. <laughs> yeah, like this used to be about re- this used to be real man, not about corporate nonsense. <laughs> oh yeah, that would be fantastic. Um. What would happen if we mashed together the Elder Scrolls and Yakuza? Ooh. Oh. The Yakuza Scrolls. Even longer dialogue trees. Pardon me? Even longer dialogue trees. Oh, yeah. For like Uh, 45 minutes. (laughs) So I assume that there's never been an Elder Scrolls character as good as Kazuma Kirio. So I'm going to say... That we should orbit this around Kazuma Kiryu not being in no longer Japan, but in some kind of magical far-off land of um, – I forget the continent of – Tamriel. Tamriel, yeah. Uh, like I've always thought the Black Marsh sounded cool because it's like a giant marsh and you get eaten by like giant fish to move around. But like he could be anywhere, and it could just be like this is our land, and these are our cultures, and these are the Daedric gods we worship, and he's just like – kind of not really invested in all of this yeah i i thought that you know the the kind of like the the pinnacle clan of assassins in elder scrolls is the dark brotherhood right so if you were to set it in the dark brotherhood except like not only is it the dark brotherhood but you've also got to like completely i don't know like 
when, when you go to pull off your your murders or your assassins, you have to almost like completely take on the life of the person, including like ridiculous mini games where you're like a bard at at a inn trying to like perfectly play those super somber <laughs> Elder Scrolls songs, or like you know you're you're reciting the lusty Argonian perfectly and things like that. I think it's just go crazy with the mini games. Yeah, exactly. A karaoke mini game. It almost like I I feel like there's probably a mod to like Morrowind that's similar to this, where you just have a bunch of like little things that you can do, and you can you can start controlling more areas of like the uh what are they called the like uh plague lands or whatever. <laughs> it's definitely like like how do you get more mini games to me in my head in Elder Scrolls, and I think you got to mm. set it around kind of like a very specific function. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, they, well, they got lock picking, so that's kind yeah. of a, of a mini game. I think. That, I mean, with mods, you can do anything. So yeah, yeah. So that's modders, a... get to work on this. I'm yeah, sure like, it would be. I feel like that's something that the Elder Scrolls could use more of is mini games. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of a lot of it is very like just the same thing, the same type of uh, gameplay constantly. But you know what I've always liked. Um, you know, there's a lot of games that do this now, where like there's like a system to casting magic rather than just clicking a button and you cast, you know, uh-huh. whatever. I always like that idea of like you move your mouse in a certain way, or like mm-hmm. almost like a like a DDR screen pops up, and if you do it right, <laughs> you know, you cast the ultimate fireball or something. So maybe that's how you do it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's do one final mashup. What would happen if we're, this is going to be the meetup of Anoids? Metroid and Arkanoid. What would that look like? Oh, man. I, I think this is a good one because I think the number one thing you. So, Arkanoid is Brick Breaker, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So, I think the, the thing is you got to have uh, Samus in the ball suit, right? Or what, yeah. what is it called? Right? So, the Morph uh, Ball. And, yeah. So it's kind of like this series where Samus has to escape from uh, kind of like a a planet where it's on blockade and her ship has this ejecting technology. So you're actually shooting Samus out every time you you bounce that little ball around. Right. Um, But you can transform once you get kind of you know how you get past that back line of ball and it just bounce and bounce and bounce and it feels really good. Right. I think you can transform into Samus once you're on level ground and start maybe like shooting aliens above you. So you kind of throw in like the whole combination of both games. Um, but yeah, I think I think Samus in the ball suit I think is probably the most fun thing you can come up with. Um, yeah, I was thinking something. I don't know if you folks have played uh, what should we call it, Yoko's Island Express. I'm thinking it's something like that where there are kind of segments where you have to turn into Morph Ball Samus and then start like breaking parts of the terrain to unlock new areas um but it's really hard to kind of control her um so it becomes kind of like arkanoid that's what i was thinking about Uh, um for me like stylistically and tonally and everything metroid is a series that's really defined by being underground like you're in caves and you're like going down further and further and every time you like try to go up it just kind of sends you down again um it's really good at at the sense of like kind of low-key claustrophobia and i think like combining that with breakout feels very natural since you're literally trying to break out back to the surface um and so i think that like there is 
I, I would really push this effort on like either making on trying to like create the sense of like capture and fear in when you start and as you go on you feel more and more empowered and maybe what you would do is you would have the like the Metroid upgrades hidden in certain blocks mm-hmm. and so you would want so because one of the things like and maybe this is just for me like whenever I play a bre- breakout or a various breakout clone the first one I played was Alleyway on the Game Boy like I don't really put a lot of like strategy into hitting the right ball it's more just making sure it doesn't fall down so but like maybe if there was an actual incentive to try to like time your shots better like I think that might be kind of interesting because you'll always get them because you have to break the whole wall. But trying to actually encourage you to play maybe somewhat more smartly, I think, could be interesting. Yeah, I think that you could kind of set it up so that you set certain, like, both temporary and permanent upgrades in certain patterns of blocks. Um, And, like, temporary upgrades could make it easier to, to clear a certain wall, which might open up a new area where you can get a permanent upgrade. Like, you could set this, you could set this up in a way that. It, it like has a Metroidvania type structure, but you're kind of mixing traditional combat with this Arkanoid kind of setup. Yeah. I, I just want you guys to know that uh, when this topic first started, I Googled uh, Arkanoid because I wasn't sure what it was at first. Yeah, and I did too. The paddle is a, uh, is a paddle-like craft named the Vouse. So that's a, a fun fact I learned on this episode. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I wasn't the only one who was unfamiliar with the term Arkanoid. Yeah, I probably should have just called it Breakout because more people know notice that, but I wanted the, the meetup of the Oids. Oh, yeah. That was a good call. <laughs> um, so uh, with that, I think it's time to call this episode to a close. Uh, thank you so much for having fun and, and mixing together all these all these wonderful ideas. If you'd like to keep up to date with the podcast, you can follow us on our website at avocadogamescast.wordpress.com, where we post each episode along with a link dump that fact checks the things we say on here. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. Just search for Avocado Gamescast. And make sure you check out the community that spawned this podcast, the avocado at the-avocado.org. So thank you folks for having this chat with me today. I think uh, we we got to some some pretty cool places. We made we made some pretty cool games. People should hire us. I yeah. Imagine, I would say. <laughs> yeah.